Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Alrighty, how's it going, Mets and overall baseball fans? Thank you guys all so much for chiming in for the latest episode of Believe in Queens. This time, episode 40 here in the show. And we have a big one because the last time that we talked, myself, Wardy, you guys know me on YouTube if you're watching the live stream right now. And of course, we have Anthony Record, Joe Sarra. The last time that we talked for a podcast episode was breaking down our raw emotions to signing Carlos Correa. Fast forward two weeks later, and we're still in that same type of limbo. Where Carlos Correa, we we feel truly that he's a Met for the most part. But the deal is not official yet because there's a lot of things going on with the physical, the nitty-gritty, a lot of things to get into. So that's where we're going to be deep diving our raw thoughts on all the lace with Correa. Why there's a very strong chance that this will only be one of multiple episodes this week for Believe in Queens. But hopefully some breaking news happening and getting into plenty of other updates in Mets land. But before I do anything else, I just want to shout out every single one of you guys on the live show and watch on replay. And also want to give a big shout out and sending prayers of course, to DeMar Hamlin. We all know what happened yesterday in that Buffalo Bills game against the Cincinnati Bengals. So, again, praying that everything is going to be okay on his front. It's a scary scene. Definitely impacted not only football, but the entire sports world, including myself. So, thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family in this beyond unfortunate time. But also want to let you guys know, as always, that today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. So, make sure you go over to betonline.ag using promo code BELIEVE at BLEAV. That way, you get yourself a 50% off welcome bonus. Uh, Bet Online, it's where the games begin. And now, folks, let's let the show begin. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Joe, I see you're still in town. Not in town with me, but in town on the East Coast. And Rec looking comfortable as always. So how's it going, fellas? Comfortable. I don't even... Is, is that a compliment? Or is that a... Absolutely. I feel it's like if compliment. you're like... How, how did someone... It's not a compliment. It is absolutely a compliment. a compliment. But it's okay. It's okay. Like how came up to me and was, Let me put this... Rec, I, I just got off the bike. Now? I'm sweating. I'm sweating like crazy. Like, are you more it's, comfortable you know, now versus being on set on MLB Network in your suit? I'm comfortable in both. Okay, fine. Have you fine. seen Wrecking a Suit? Come on, the tan Sh- suit over the summer? Uh, that was the biggest scandal uh, in the world at the time. <laughs> this guy, why, what's wrong with the tan suit? Why can't, why can't you wear the tan suit? What do you uh, got the tan, the the tan, tan suit? suit's just been slandered. That, that's been tan suits, they've been out for that's because I wasn't seven wearing years. It. <laughs> that's true, that's fair. That's fair. I don't I have just... this kind of confidence. This is all fake, everybody. Just so you know, <laughs> like, this is not me. I'm not that kind of a guy. So, I don't know if, if someone ever said, like, How's Joe look? And the person answered, oh, he looked comfortable. I, I would take offense to that. I, I did not know it was an offensive thing, so I retract my comfortable statement, okay? All Damage right. has been done. Damage has been That's done. Okay. But happy right. New Year, guys. I missed you guys. I haven't seen you since yeah, happy, last ha- year. Yeah, happy New Year. Yeah, seriously. Okay. Merry Christmas too, you filthy animals. We didn't even do one. <laughs> we haven't done one since then either. You know. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it's true because we skipped last mm. week for the holiday break, getting to the new year. Of course, mm-hmm. during that time, there really wasn't anything to talk about because the only thing going on is still Carlos Cray. You know, we thought we had him, and I again, firm belief is that the Mets do have him, but. There's been a lot more trickier things going on with his contract than maybe what we initially realized. You know, and we were under full belief from the start that, okay, um, at least to a certain extent, I shouldn't say this for everyone, but that 
when things fell out between the Giants and Correa and Steve Cohen sipping a martini in Hawaii, talking with Boris, getting the deal done at 3 a.m., that that went in hand because the Giants or Correa, they maybe had some cold feet there. However, now the Mets have the same concern as the Giants with that broken ankle from 2014. So that's what all the talk about is right now. It's not a concern right now, but it is down the road, maybe five, six plus years and a 12-year deal. So Mets clearly want insurance. They want protection in this type of contract. This insurance, this type of wording, uh, specific language is what's caused this lengthy process. And every Mets and overall baseball fan is grasping at straws to just get updates at this point because there really hasn't been a lot. And I, I will say, and let me know if you guys agree or disagree, I kind of respect at least that you haven't seen too much leaked out there in the media. This is not something where the Mets or Boris, either of their camps, are really trying to use this as a clear leverage game. Obviously, Correa wants to get the most bang for his buck as possible on a long-term deal. And for the Mets, they want to get him at the appropriate deal while making sure that they don't have to deal with complete financial repercussions if, say, his ankle goes completely kaput you know, five, six, seven years down the line from that surgery. And then, you know, he, he himself is sipping martinis in Hawaii with a full bag. That shouldn't be the case. And that's why the Mets want to get coverage there. But Rex, starting off with you, what, what has been your reaction to everything that has transpired at this point with the negotiations, getting the fine print details done? And ultimately, as a player, have you ever experienced firsthand, not with yourself, I'd imagine, but with people that you know, obviously, in the industry, friends, whoever it may be, have you ever seen something like this before, especially during your playing days? Um, I've never seen anything like this. No, um, okay. not with any of the guys I played with anyway. Um, you know, obviously uh, with a cat, with, with a sign, um, with a contract um, of this size, I couldn't get that out. Um, <laughs> I've never, I've never seen anything like this occur, even on a smaller deal. Like I've never seen, um, you know, any kind of a physical hold something up for this long, for this length of time. If there's anything that happens within the course of the physical or um, looking at someone's medicals, it's usually, it, it gets run through really fast. Like, hey, we're comfortable with it. Oh, we're not comfortable with it. Boom, done. This is obviously the reason this is happening. This is a big deal. This this is one of the, you know, more premier players in the league. So obviously when you're signing him to the amount of money that you are, it's just, it's, it's going to be, uh, if there's an issue, it's going to be, there's going to be a fiasco. Um, I think with Correa, the way this has played out, I'm, I'm waiting to see, and I'm waiting to hear what some of the concessions are that were made by both Correa, his camp, but also the player association, because the only way to really get something like this done is now to make some, um, concessions on their side, creative concessions within the workings of a contract that are going to alter real realistically the guarantee in the deal. That's, I mean, that's what I'm assuming. That's, that's what I see coming. It's my first thought was, okay, these huge deals, they have insurance. There's going to be insurance associated with this deal. Um, is there a way to put more of the risk on Correa's side? Is there a way to have him pay for some of this insurance? Is there a way for, you know, them to take on some of the risk that comes inherent risk that comes with, whatever this ankle issue truly is, um, you know, where whatever they're seeing, that's really giving them pause. So to me, it's just about that and, and trying to figure out a creative way to figure out the, the contract lingo so that the Mets can basically wiggle out of it if necessary. What about you, Joe? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because <clears throat> earlier today, Ken Rosenthal reported, and he used the word dramatically. He said that this deal is going to look dramatically different yep. than the original 12-year, $315 million contract. And, uh, you know, maybe this isn't pro player, and I usually, my takes tend to typically be on the pro player side, but I kind of hope that this is, a, a you know, a much shorter deal. And obviously, you know, for Correa, he wants that stability that, you know, he's going to be getting paid by the Mets, being met till he's 40, 41. But I think it would be way better for the Mets if they come out of this. If, you know, obviously he's okay. I want that for both sides, not just for the Mets. But it would be way better if this ends up being something like a six or seven year deal at the end of the day. Um, or if there's, you know, a franchise like a team opt out in there somewhere. Um, because frankly, I, I mean, look, Correa is going to be a Met, right? I, I don't think there's any doubt about whether or not he's going to be a Met. I don't think any other team can come in at his price tag and swoop him up from us the way we can swoop guys up from other teams. Um, so I'm really very confident he'll be a Met. I just think it would be better for the Mets in, in terms of building their future if they can, you know, get out of it by the time he's 35, 36, as opposed to 40, 41. Yeah, and when I saw that report first come out from Ken, again, I this is speculation to an extent because very few things have been leaked to the media that we know. I mean, Ken was the first guy to break the news initially that the Mets, you know, have medical concerns. And even then, that was kind of mind-boggling that it even came out. I understand that that's Ken. That's part of his job. But I even read through further reporting through uh, Mets Rise as well that Steve Cohen was understandably so upset with that leak coming out from the front office because they were trying to keep that hush hush and it seems like that that extended things a little bit more than they wanted to as they were already in negotiations supposedly with Correa for at least 24 hours trying to re uh, restructure figure out the fine print of that contract prior to that report coming out by Ken saying that yes the Mets have concerns with his medical just like the Giants but what I will say about this and to your point Joe I agree I mean if the Mets get him at say around the same contract. I'm not going to complain. I want Carlos Cray on this team. So, so does Steve Cohen and for good reason. However, I am under the belief that should what Ken's recent statements hold true, that it's going to be dr dramatically different. I'm going to assume, and this is my prediction, rather eight or nine year deal, higher AEV around Francisco and door range, 33, $34 million per year at an eight or $9 million deal. I know that may seem like a lot, but that's when not drastically different though. I, I mean, we don't know. I mean, that that would be like the same money. It would just be fewer years. We that I we don't know exactly don't what Ken money. is saying about it being dramatically different. Is it just based on the length? Is it based on the money? Guaranteed money, I'm sure, is definitely a factor. But also the fine print details of like the type of insurance, the details. Because what I also saw, we know that Scott Boris is not unfamiliar negotiating these type of contracts where they have like special clauses. You think of Pudge Rodriguez with the Detroit Tigers back in the day, a uh, four-year deal, $40 million. And under that contract, it was stated that if he can't stay healthy for 30 to 35 days in a certain span, that that entire contract would be voided at a $5 million buyout. A similar type um, clause, you know, fine print info was put in the contract of J.D. Martinez's five-year $110 million deal that Boris also negotiated with the Red Sox years ago. And neither of those things were exercised because both those players were healthy during those time frames. But the point is, is that that's the type of language that I feel that we're going to be seeing, which goes in hand with maybe why it's going to be so different. I mean, are there going to be creative opt-outs? Is this a situation where uh, I fully believe, right, uh, Correa needs to play a certain amount of games over a certain amount of time. If he misses this amount of games over, say, this amount of years, then the Mets may have a shot to either void that contract at a buyout 
or something along those lines. Again, I know this isn't what Correa wants, but the ball really isn't in his court as much. You know, if he doesn't do this deal with the Mets, what other team is going to give him a similar long-term deal? No one's going right. to do it after two teams, including Boris, scoffed at you know his physical. And if he, for his sake, signs, say, another short-term deal, whether it's back with the Twins or wherever it may be, if he's putting himself at further risk, if he gets injured at all next year, that supposed $300-plus million he wants on the long-term deal is going right down the drain. I mean, there's obviously upside to bet- banking on yourself, and Correa did a solid job with that this past year. But there's no guarantees for the years going forward, and he's fully aware. So, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think a deal is going to get done. And as I'm sure both of you saw earlier today, it was pretty interesting how Carlos Correa starts the day by posting on Instagram a photo of him with his kid, uh, you know, get, getting ready for work, uh, him and his kid saying, but the kid has a shirt that says, I love New York on it. Or for people that want to get really specific, a hot dog, a pretzel, and NY, yes. And then you have Correa, who's wearing a Scott Boris shirt because Boris has his own clothing line. Of course he does. And he has a glove. And specifically, that glove is a third baseman's glove. And then when you look to the left, that's on the back table, everyone investigated this post to a T. And I think it just reaffirmed that Correa is going to be a Met. It's just a matter of time. He even had blue baseball gloves on the table too. So, and his, uh, his actual mitt was black and orange. So are we reading into things a little bit? Yes, absolutely. And I think there's fair reason to do so. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, look, like, like I said, I think it's pretty much a slam dunk. He's going to be a met. I think both sides want each other. And, you know, unfortunately in rec, I was going to say, obviously on this one, correct me if I'm wrong, but to Tyler's point of saying, you know, the ball really isn't in his court. I, I think in a shocking twist and turn of events, Correa right now needs the Mets a little more than the Mets need Carlos Correa because you know when you're talking about Carlos Correa money there, there's quite literally a handful of teams across Major League Baseball that that can cough that kind of money up and yeah. right now you know I think the Mets are willing to give him <clears throat> close to Carlos Correa money whereas you know any other team that might try to come in and swoop him or might want to swoop him I, I don't think realistically is able to I think they've been scared off. I really yeah. do. I don't think there's anybody else. After the Giants situation, that seemed like a, like an odd fiasco that wasn't real. I mean, it, it didn't seem like it was legitimate. Now you know it's legitimate. Now right. you know every other team signing him to a long-term deal would come up with the exact same thing. Um, otherwise, the Mets would have already signed him by now. It would be over. It would be done. And Because I, I don't think there was a team that really – truly wanted him more than the Mets. Um, The Giants were willing to pay him more, but I don't think they wanted him as badly as the Mets have shown and clearly do considering they're still negotiating and trying to figure this out. Um, The one thing I will say, I'm going to go back a little bit because Tyler, you mentioned this and I think Joe, you even mentioned this too, was the way that these front offices for the front office for the Mets and particularly Steve Cohen have done a really nice job of keeping things quiet it is such it is such a welcome welcome like attribute that this front office and this new leadership has because in previous years under old ownerships under old front offices it it didn't matter like it just stuff got leaked and you could tell that there was some form of well we're going to try to win over the fans or we're going to try to win over this you know, the media, or we're going to try to just to try to make a point or to, to lower someone's value, whatever that doesn't happen anymore. And I, I love it. I mean, trades come out of nowhere. Signings come out of nowhere. 
Yeah, it's you. You might as well just follow the New York Mets um, Twitter page because they are just as likely to break a signing as Rosenthal or Passan or whoever else it is. And it's really it's it's so nice to see that. It's so refreshing to have a front office that truly cares enough to bring everything in house and say we're not going to let this. Um, you know, get out. We're not going to let other people have their opinions and we're not going to have talk shows and these schmucks on Believe in Queens, like, you know, going on and on and ranting about stuff before it's real. No, we're going to make sure that we tell the people what's happening. And I, I think that's so awesome. Sorry, Rec, I had to go off on that little. No, you're 100% right. Rick, when you were a Met, how bad was the lack of trust between the players and the front Ooh. office? Um, Honestly, it wasn't it wasn't really when I played that much. Um, not not when I was there anyway. I mean, there was a couple of times where it seemed like news got broken by the by social media rather than by, um, you know, the front. but that happened with literally every team I was on at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would honestly say it was more the Brody led regime that really, you know, w- when you go out and you hire Alex Rodriguez and Jessica Mendoza and like you're hiring media personalities to be in your inner circle. You're doing that for a reason. Like you're literally trying to use the media to gain whatever advantage, whether it's over the players or just over the public, over the fans, trying to win their trust and then, you know, kind of shoo out players, whatever you want to do. Um, You could tell there was some of that. And so, but I've seen it with other, you know, you look at what the nationals did to, um, I can't think of his name right now. Hit a home run off me. Um, Ian Desmond, you know, like, <laughs> oh, we offered him this deal and they didn't. They didn't offer him that deal. Like, that was a lie. And so you you see that there have been front offices and ownership and uh, that have gone out and said things publicly that aren't true to try to win over fans or try to make it seem like they're trying harder than they really are um, to make a player look bad, whatever it is. And it, it's just not true. And that kind of stuff, like, there's nothing to me that's, you know, more egregious than just bald face lying or, or trying to use fans against the players, which is completely ridiculous when you're trying to grow a game and get, you know, fans involved and it, it, that kind of stuff, just there's no place in it in the game. And that's why, that's why I say it's so refreshing to see what this front office is doing. Right now, now both of you, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't the nationals try something similar with Juan Soto before, before the trade deadline? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. that's, that's disgusting. Like this guy was, he was there. They keep doing it. He was, the only doing re- it. he was the only reason for anyone to buy a ticket for the last two years. Houston tried to do it with Correa, didn't they? They were like, oh, we offered him this much money. I mean, it was true, but it was like, oh. then they ended up looking like idiots because it was like, oh, well, this guy's worth 300 million now, not 140, even though right. apparently he's not going to sign for that. But um, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, that these front offices keep the Red Sox d- did it with both bets and now with Devers yeah. and, bogarts and like it's like oh we offered him this much and he didn't take it like yeah guy they're worth more than that like that's what they're getting on the open market it's i know people are gonna say well they're not worth that no of course nobody's worth that much money but realistically if someone's gonna pay you that much money then in some semblance you are so there it is like that's what the free market's all about that's what players fought for so it's just silly that um some of these teams just continue to try this stuff hey so what do we think and wardy i actually want to pose this question to you first sure Raphael Devers today obviously this is a Mets show but Devers has come up you know as a long shot rumor maybe linked to the Mets and obviously it's a baseball show and there hasn't been much baseball news the past week or two so Wardy what do you think about the Devers deal with the Red Sox they did something very similar to Mookie right before ultimately trading him to LA 
Do you think Devers, for that bargain price of one year, 17 and a half mil, do you think he's a Red Sox for the full season? Do you think they restructure, or do you think Devers is on his way out? It's so hard to say because you look at the PR issue well, right first, now. First, hold on. That's an arbitration deal. So it's not, right? It's a pre-arb deal. So it's yeah. not like yeah. it's a, it's just a, you know, he wasn't going to get 25 million or more in arbitration because just with his time and it just, it's just the way the system works. Like typically you about double your salary, which is about what that is. Sorry. Go ahead, Todd. No, no, you're good. Um, I, my thought process on Devers has always been the following. I just don't foresee a world where the Red Sox allow themselves to lose not only Xander, but Devers in the same offseason. So I think that completely rules out the idea that Devers could be traded as soon as this offseason. I think from a PR standpoint, from gain, making sure that people are buying tickets, no chance that happens where they lose two superstars in one time frame. Um, when it comes to the trade deadline, too, I also find that a little hard to believe. And I think that there is a 50-50 shot Devers is dealt at the trade deadline for sure, mainly because I just don't trust Boston and what they're doing right now. I, I don't trust that pitching staff nearly enough. Their depth concerns me in really all facets on how they're currently orchestrating this roster. Um, it's something that we're going to be following a lot. And Devers feels like a guy where, you know, you might have the front office come out and say that we have no intentions of trading Devers to start the year, but it could be a Soto scenario again, where if a team really gets desperate and throws out the bag, I mean, Heim Bloom is all about young, promising talent. He has not shaded away from trading some homegrown talent that, you know, deserve bags. And Boston is either not going to give it or specifically Heim is unwilling to do so for whatever reason it may be. Maybe he's still stuck in that Tampa Ray, uh, Tampa Bay Rays mindset, whatever it's going to be. So it's going to be a very interesting thing to follow, but I think trading him at the deadline right now is 50-50 in my opinion. And I don't think the Mets are going to land him because Carl Correa will be a Met. Right. What, what do you think about Devers? Do you think uh, he's gone before the end of the year? Um, if Boston is smart, yes. Um, and I say that because they've already blown their chance. This isn't me saying that they should trade him. They should. Point. But with what they've done so far, they might as well now because yeah. why would he want to come back? Like they're doing the same thing. They do the same thing to Betts. They do the same thing to Bogart. They're doing the same thing to him. He's seen it play out. Like, no, I'm good. Uh, I, I would prefer to leave. So he's in my opinion, probably gone. And if that's the case, you better trade him because otherwise what you get a draft pick for him and you hope that he turns into a big leaguer period, let alone a multi-time all-star potential, like triple crown type player. Like this dude's fantastic. I mean, he hits three something homers like RB. He, he, I mean, he's not like an elite third baseman. We, we know that, but who cares? Like if you hit like that, it's all good. Like, the one thing I will say is with Devers and that ballpark in Boston, it sets up so perfect for him because right. he's not a dead pull hitter. He's a guy who likes to go the other way. He's it, it reminds you a lot of big poppy, just he's a hundred pounds lighter and you know, like, I mean, but he still rakes. So it's like, he just, he's so he's made for that park. So going somewhere else, he's going to be good. Don't get me wrong. Great hitter, but he's not going to be the same. And that that's where, um, I would have pause if I'm another team saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to give up the farm for him because you're just not going to get quite that same production. But again, he's going to he's a great hitter. So, period. If, if you need a guy like he's going to be the guy to get come trade deadline time. I don't see it happening before the season. Um, I think Boston is right. going to be thinking that they're ready to, you know, make a run, even though they still have no pitching and 
I don't know. Their lineup looks worse than it did last year, and I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, they're a last-place team. They're, they're settling for, what, Bobby Dalbeck over Eric Hosmer, who I think, by the way, is close to a deal with the Cubs. Yeah, Cubs, he, yeah. Cubs are happens. interesting, by the way. I don't think that they're going to be all that good, but Hosmer. No, Bellinger, they're a bunch of 500 players, literally. Except That's what Swanson. they're signing. Outside of outside of Swanson. Swanson's, right. Swanson's the only guy that they've signed in a while that, to me, that tips the scales towards a winner. Other than that, everybody they sign is like, yeah, we're going to be 500 this year. Like, great, guys. Like, go do something. I don't know. I, that, <laughs> did, that team frustrates you, me. But I don't – I think I'm their not pitching a, is a... trash. I think that their lineup is formidable. I think that their lineup has upside. It, it doesn't have ta- – uh, it doesn't have rather guaranteed talent. But I think it has upside. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I want to mention about Dansby, I don't know if you guys saw this in this presser with the Cubs. And then after this, I want to jump to some Mets stuff to share with you all. But Dansby said that, you know, a factor into his decision to sign with the Cubs, you know, even though he grew up a diehard Braves fan, enjoyed his time in Atlanta after he was dealt there, uh, made note that his grandfather actually grew up a Cubs fan while living in Atlanta. And the whole family was like, like, how could this be? But growing up, you know, he, he wanted both represent a, the part of his family being Braves fans and also his grandfather being a Cubs fan. Um, so I thought that was very cool as well. So it just kind of paying homage with the family aspect. Of course, the money was definitely a big factor, but who knows? Maybe he did have uh, similar deals, if not the same, from other clubs that he decided, no, I want to be specifically in Chicago and spend the next tenure of my career there. And if so, then good for him. I, I definitely think that's a really cool gesture for him to do. That goes beyond, you know, simply just, okay, I want the bag. And don't forget his wife. She's uh, She plays for the Chicago yes. NWSL team. Yeah, great point, too. Yeah, just further so. reasoning. Yep, that's actually a very good point. But, okay, so one more thing I want – one or two more things I want to share with you guys with Correa, which really stood out to me, and I, I think we just have Steve Cohen to thank for this, is, you know, the, rela- the relationship with Scott Boris. I mean, who would have thought just like two years ago that Scott Boris would be so speaking so glowingly about this Mets team, right? It, it really is a change in a very short period of time with all the little, you know, poems, whatever he tries to write to speak about his free agents that he represents. Um, he's been gassing up the Mets and it's nice to see him for good reason. Cause Steve Cohen and him and I've quickly built a nice relationship, but something that is really, why would you not build a nice relationship with the guy who holds the most money in baseball? Exactly. All you care right. about is yeah. the oh, money I, in baseball. I, I, like, absolutely. It's I'm so not funny th- to me because he hated the Wilpons. <laughs> oh, that's Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into what I feel about Boris right now. That's okay. not, that's fine. Not that's the fine. time or place. Okay. That's fine. Uh, I want to, I want to make note here though, that you look at the giants and uh, Farhan Zahidi came out and made know that, you know, it was a frustrating process with Correa and that they have to be tight lipped and just say that they, they gave their best efforts and they even chimed back in on Correa after uh, the Mets deal was originally done, but then the physical holdup happened again. So they chimed in giants were still interested in Correa, but what we know initially when the first falling out happened, was that Scott Boris, according to him, gave a certain amount of time to the Giants and their front office to negotiate and get and to get a deal done. From the Giants' side of things, they want further time to look over the physical. And then at that point, once it reached a certain time, Boris said, all right, I'm going to start listening to other teams. That's just how it's going to go, and that's what led to Steve Cohen. Now, how and pretty much cutting off the Giants in doing so. Now, you see Boris giving extended time here which just further shows you that one, he wants to make sure that this relationship stays strong with Cohen. I'm not, I don't believe that it wouldn't be anything otherwise, but it kind of just reaffirms to me that the type of way that he's approaching the Mets definitely does not feel the same. In my opinion, 
with how he approached the Giants. Could I could I be wrong? Yes, but I really don't think I am here. And, and this just goes back to my well, original I think point. we I think we touched on it early on when we said that Correa needs the Mets more than the Mets need Correa at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like yep. to me that's that's what that means. It means mm-hmm. oh yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> we better we better snuggle up close to the Mets right now because <laughs> otherwise we're not getting anything near 300 million. And he might not. He might not end up getting 300 million, but at this point with everything that has gone on to switch to like, like to listen to offers again and to switch, you know, it, it just, you'd be going on this process and eventually, uh, you know, maybe a team would take a shot and just give you all the money and all the years, but maybe they won't. And then what's going to happen. So that's, that's where I, that's where I see that. Yes, I, I did. I sent Scott Boris a Christmas card. Um, I did not wipe my, Oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Oh man. Sorry. This is great. Okay. So what we've also seen with the Mets and Correa, assuming that this deal gets done, is that they're going to have more moves to follow. And no one should be surprised. The initial reporting that came out like two weeks ago is that the Mets were still in the market for another bat and another arm. However, it does seem like that there's an increased likelihood that they will explore the trade market. Maybe not necessarily for just a arm, whether that's a Liam Hendricks. I think that the Liam Hendricks possibility is far less than maybe what it was when it was first reported. It, it it's going to really be a pipe dream, in my opinion, if the Mets get that done. I'll be Who surprised. Was the name that popped up? Was it was it Brett Beatty that they wanted? Uh, I I didn't see any reporting, like factual reporting of what the website. I doubt. Would be I d- if for. if Beatty's name popped up, maybe maybe he was someone they wanted, but honestly. For Liam Hendricks, anytime, anytime a team makes a big signing, then the prospect at that position, oh, he's the one in the trade. He's no. going to be the one. Like, yeah. stop it. And Eduardo <laughs> Escobar is the name up. to watch. He's the guy that looks like the odd man out. Should they be willing to trade a position player? Yeah. Seriously. I mean, it just makes, makes sense. While I like the idea of Eddie being on the bench slash DH, I think he'd be a really nice fit there because when you look at the deepest teams in baseball, they have Eduardo Escobar type players on the bench and in more utility roles. I mean, the Dodgers are a great example. I know that he's gotten a lot of playing time either because of exceeding expectations or because of injuries, but Chris Taylor is a guy I think of a lot with the Dodgers doing whatever they need him to do for a long period of time and being a productive bat and doing so. He, he had a, he had his struggles this past year, no doubt, but historically Chris Taylor is one of those depth pieces that, you know, stands out to me with how I could view Escobar similarly having an impact on the Mets should he not be down. Well, the thing that I love about Taylor, and, and I, I feel like you kind of backtracked a little bit when you saw me get ready to interject and say like, oh, I know you didn't have a great year. No, Chris Taylor has been superb for the Dodgers. I, I wouldn't oh, yeah. compare Eddie to Chris Taylor because Taylor is not a utility bench piece. Taylor is a super utility guy. He is a starter who will start m- and play meaningful games at left, third, short, second, center. Like I mean, PK before you left. Right, right. Like, obviously, for Chris Taylor, like, he plays some positions, you know, like, second and left better than others, like, short and center. But he's done it all, and he's done it all in important moments. He's gotten clutch hits. He's made clutch defensive plays. I wouldn't, no disrespect, I I really do have a soft spot for Eddie. I like him a lot. But I don't think you can compare Eddie to Chris Taylor, especially because of just the defensive versatility. I mean, Eddie defensively this year was nothing short of a liability. He's uh, He's just one of those first guys to pop in my head when I think of, like, superb depth for a team that maybe right. isn't going to be starting every day. Right. But with, it, with Eddie I'm also, of top teams, I think of the Dodgers right away on the depth front. Naturally. Of course. Of course. But with what Eddie, it's the also like, they got, what did, what did Taylor get four for 60 and Escobar got what two for 
I don't know, 20 or 15 or 20 with the Mets, 25, right? I think. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's totally different spectrums. Like you're talking about a guy who got paid and the guy who, you know, got money. Sure. I'd love that, but <laughs> that's not getting paid in the big leagues. So. Yeah. I, I mean, with Eddie too, it's like, he's a guy who right now, the only position I see him playing on this team is Third. A, a DH platoon. Not, not even, th- I mean, not a Correa, not if and when Correa is in it. To me, he's like a platoon DH guy mm-hmm. to face left-handed pitching. And I just don't think that Escobar is going to be able to get into a rhythm. Like, like Vogelback can play strictly against righties and still get into a rhythm and go on hot streaks, like, you know, for two, three weeks, like we've seen. I don't think Eddie is the kind of guy who can play twice a week, three times a week max and, and get into a rhythm and get hot. I just don't see that. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Especially because that isn't something that Eddie's been accustomed to for the majority of his career, right? Can he make that transition smoothly? Maybe, but that's also also risk that the Mets would be taking heading into the season. So very fair point on that one. Um, but when it comes to updates for the Mets, there hasn't been anything drastic. They, of course, have made a recent change and signing that being an Eric Amhensky, I believe, right? The former player as their assistant hitting coach. He spent time with uh, Billy Epler during his time in LA as GM over there for a couple of years. So they have a relationship, they have rapport. And Jeremy Barnes is now the full-time uh, heading coach now that Eric Chavez is behind the bench for the Mets with uh, Glenn Sherlock in the bullpen currently. So that's kind of what's going on there from a coaching standpoint. And from a signing standpoint, the Mets did sign a reliever today and TJ McFarland to a minor league deal. Uh, first thing that comes to my mind with TJ McFarland is the home run that he gave up to who was it? I think it was Brandon Nimmo and that five or unearned run game against St. Louis to start this past season. I know he came in in relief and Brandon Nimmo just ripped one. I think that was the final run that Mets scored there in the ninth to ultimately win that game in a dramatic comeback. Um, so, Rec, I know that you have a little connection with TJ. So, let's hear a little bit about him. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, good dude. Um, really liked him in my time in Arizona. Um, he was, you know, during, during camp, great guy. I didn't know who he was. Like he's one of those unassuming, you know, kind of left-handed specialists who actually has had a great career. I mean, he's been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, had a couple of really good years, both for Arizona and since, and, um, you know, the last, I think his last couple of years haven't been quite as good, but he's the type of guy that could eventually make an impact. I mean, this is a nice left-handed piece to have, presumably in AAA for a little bit. I don't know what his opt-outs are. He could have an opt-out at the end of spring training or whatever if he doesn't make the team. Who knows? But it's a nice it's a nice depth signing for the Mets. I mean, this is a guy who can come in. He's been in big situations. He's, you know, pitched in the playoffs. He's pitched for competing teams. He's done it all, and he's done a great job left on left. So, realistically, fantastic signing. And like I said, really good dude. So, um, he's definitely one of those guys that has a little bit of, like, the old dad bod type thing, you know, but – doesn't matter when you're a pitcher. Doesn't even matter in baseball. You're not, you don't have to be an athlete. You just got to be a baseball player. And dude's a pretty darn good left-handed pitcher. Yeah, we, and, we need just oh, like a yeah. weekly segment of like who the hell hasn't Anthony Record played with? In yeah, with or Arizona it's, specifically. It's, it's weird. Like it really is. I I don't yeah. even. The, um. Uh. Okay. So the kid with um with the Dodgers, Ellis. Um. AJ Ellis, the catcher. No. 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 Uh, um, oh wait, no, LS does that. Who was the reliever this year that was really good for the Dodgers? See, I can't even remember his name right now. Um, he was it's fantastic. A, a Came out of year, so I don't, I'm oh, wait, would it be like Elias? Does he throw like super hard, get a little wild at times? No, 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 I'm gonna have to find it now. You guys are gonna have to give me a second. Anyway, I didn't even remember that I played with him until I was literally on the air 
at MLB Network. We're talking about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I played with him in Atlanta. What am I? I, don't even, I didn't even remember <laughs> that. Like, that's that's how weird it is. Like, I, I have oh, Evan, Evan Phillips. Phillips. Yeah, I just saw. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, who it is. Thank you very much, whoever said that. Um, yeah, Jesus and Home Slice. Appreciate you guys. Um, <laughs> it was Evan Phillips. I forgot that I played with him. Like, but it's it's just really funny how like I I really have played with so many people. It's it, it is it's strange. I think it's because my last last couple of years of my career. I was in AAA, so I spent a lot of time with prospects, right? Like, so I saw a lot of prospects in in prospect-rich organizations, whether it was Cleveland in 16 and then Atlanta in 16 and 17 and then Arizona in 18. So, like, I got to see a lot of a lot of young kids, like, right before they made it to the big league. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. You're on, been around you're on, too much. You're on some six degrees of Kevin Bacon shit. <laughs> MLB Network needs to make that a segment, by the way, and I want residuals on that shit. Like, you know, get on it. Yeah, Anthony Wrecker has played with Lou Gehrig through six degrees of. <laughs> I bet we could find it, like, because I'm trying to think of like you played with Bartolo Colon, right? Yeah. So we could definitely we could link you with Lou Gehrig through Bartolo Colon. I'm sure. I mean, it wouldn't take much, probably. That would be, <laughs> be like four be fun. I like those. I like those. That's a fun game. Yeah. So, TJ McFarland. I'm going to recommend that now and say it was all my idea. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> Love that. McFar- <laughs> so, I see this move by McFarland today. And during the same time frame, we see Alex Claudio sign a, I believe, minor league deal with the Baltimore Orioles. Or a different team. That is in the Mets. So, wishing Claudio all the best. McFarland feels like quite the upgrade, in my opinion, from Claudio. Because he's been a major leaguer for the past decade plus. That's on a minor league deal. Will likely have invite to spring training and he is the perfect example of what is so many relievers in baseball good year bad year good year bad year good year medium year you know it's just up and down up and down up and down and he's on pace to have a good year next year we're basing it on this type math so last season he had a 6.6 year ray in uh 32 innings with st louis not good year prior in 38 innings 2.56 year ray very good then the year prior you saw 2.35 to pardon me 4.35 4.82 just a flat two in arizona in a whopping 72 innings that was far and away like his best season um so he's had he's had some hinge on seasons up up in the air you know in the mix there so i like what year was that that he had that great season in arizona i think that that was the year that you uh 18 he had a great. I heard he had a great catcher oh. in spring training. Oh, did I get him? Did I get him ready in spring training to go and do it in the big leagues? And then I just sat in AAA all year that year. Yeah. Okay, we, we have Anthony Record to thank for that amazing. Oh my God, Record Record's going to be a bullpen catcher this year. The Mets are watching this right now. They're going to make him the bullpen catcher. If I'm the bullpen catcher, the Mets win 125 games. Yeah, you're you're an upgrade over uh, Racanello. <laughs> Racanello. Yeah, I'm an upgrade over Rack and uh, and, and Langle. Um, my guy Langy, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Langle threw me so Langy, many balls and beat Langy's back the, in the Canadian, day. like used to catch back in the day, but he just like gets. Uh, he's hilarious. Are they love both, both of them? Correct me if I'm wrong. Are they both with DC now? Uh, I don't think so. Because I know that they're they're not, Rackin- I thought Rackinello was still met. They were definitely still there last year. Yeah, they were oh, okay. Sure because right. I know that they made a lot of changes from the bullpen and catching side things, and like majority of those guys went to the Nationals last season. I remember that. Ricky Bones was in that group too. Well, Ricky Bone, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, I mean, Ricky shoot, I, bonus, bonus, bonus. Oh, is it bonus? Bonus. I can't call him Bones. 
No, no, you can't call him Big Boner either. He's the I love Ricky. Ricky was awesome. Ricky was my guy. Like, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in the bullpen. So, <laughs> <laughs> I had a catch with Ricky once when I was working for the Mets. I got there like super early, and like it was BP. They were just goofing around, and he, I was up in the stands, and he kept throwing it to me, throwing it back. He always had a smile on his face. Oh, always smile. Best BP. I mean. In the which is crazy because most pitchers are are terrible BP throwers. Yeah, he was awesome, which means he gave it up when he. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how you know. Oh, like that's man. how you know. No pitcher, like any good pitcher, is the worst BP thrower you'll ever see because they can't control like where their ball just moves all over. I shouldn't say right. they can't control where it moves; they know where, it, but it just moves. Uh, you want a straight, like just groove it. Yeah, groove it. They're all Dustin Mays in there where he has like too much movement. It's it's too much to handle. He's nasty. That's what I think of when you have the guys going all over the place. Well, I, I really don't think there's much else that needs to be said. You know, you want to do five uh, minutes just, of questions? If we do we have questions? I'm on my phone. I can't see the uh, yeah, chat. yeah. We can do five minutes of questions, then we'll wrap up the show. And actually, before we do, I do want to make an announcement for people listening to the pod, because even if we do another oh, shit, episode this week. <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. I actually have a big announcement because I'm speaking on behalf of Steve Cohen. I'm shouting out anyone that wants to be involved. City Field this Saturday, January 7th. It's hosted there. They are having a community visioning session at City Field. It's going to be in the Piazza Club. And anyone and everyone's invited. I'm going to put the link down below in the live stream here on YouTube after this is live. And if you're listening wherever you get your audio podcast, I'll put the link there so you can RSVP and sign up. What they're doing is they want as many Mets fans in the community as possible to attend. It starts around 2 p.m. Eastern time. We'll go until around 4.30 p.m. or so and share their thoughts on what they want the Mets to do with the 50 acres around City Field because they're going to be revamping everything. They're changing the parking lot. All the empty areas of just asphalt, they're changing completely to give the best fan experience imaginable. Can they that- take away all the tire shops? Yes. Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. They, they, Steve Cohen. I think is- if they tear those up, though, it might like unearth some crap that makes like New York turn into a big sinkhole. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean that was that was like Tyler. That was a legitimate concern. I know the Wilpons talked about doing that years. Oh ago. my god, really? There might be some chemicals in those old like garage garage shops that uh, could do some damage if, if you dig those up the wrong way. Well, well, I, they're gonna find out, I guess, if they haven't already. Jesus, <laughs> we'll all find out. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I'm gonna be in attendance. Steve Cohen is going to be making a guest appearance there. Uh, some people from Point Seventy Two will more than likely be there too. A lot of Mets minds will be there, so make sure to check it out. All you gotta do again is sign up using the link that I will have in the live stream right after we're live here. So make sure you click on replay. Click it, all that fun stuff, to, so that way you can RSVP. And for anyone listening for the audio podcast, the link will be available in the description of episode 40 here if you want to get a chance to meet me and also just be a part of the experience and share your input as a Mets fan and just give your recommendations as to what you would like to see Steve Cohen and the Mets build around the surrounding area of City Field because they're doing a complete revamp and it's going to be a really fun event. So make sure you're there. Um, but okay, so let's get to some questions now, shall we? Uh, just- you know what we didn't talk about, by the way? What didn't we talk about? Did you guys see that Dom Smith signed with the Nationals? Nationals. Yeah, I actually yeah. wanted to mention that when we were speaking about the Nats a couple minutes ago. He's gonna so kill us. He's gonna. He's gonna. He is going to absolutely rake. Like, I'll be honest with up. you guys, man. I'm a huge Dom Smith fan. I, I love the How guy. I mean, just be? as a he's person, such a good guy. He's he's the best. Like he is the best. And to see everything he went through with the Mets, like I know the I know the mental struggle he went through. 
which caused some of the, you know, some of the play that wasn't what he would have wanted it to be, what fans didn't want it to be. And I get that. Um, I hope he gets a shot. I really do because he's, he's really talented. Um, the ball, I think, I think, you know, the juice ball a little bit, you know, it helped him in some ways. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, hurts him now that it's not so much, but at the same time, man, he can find a barrel and he's that type of guy. He doesn't strike out a ton. Like when he's right, he doesn't strike out a ton. Barrels balls up line drive guy. Like gap to gap he can, he can hit the ball out of the park. Yeah. Like gap to gap. Like he's, he's a guy I, I envision in a, in a perfect world with 40 to 50 doubles yeah. and like, 20 homers like not a huge home run guy first baseman but like i really see that i really see him as the type of guy who could push 280 to 300 and and hit 50 doubles and and 20 homers but like it it would take the right situation and a perfect season but i really see that as him i i I hope I hope it doesn't happen against the Mets because you know there's been plenty oh, of that he's gonna he's gonna have some extra motivation I promise you playing against yes. your old team like when I was a Brave playing against the Met, when I was a Met playing against the Cubs or the A's, like it, it's a different, it's just a different feeling, man. You just get locked in. You don't need any like any pre-mix like workout drink or something. Like you get into that game and you got energy. It's it's just a different world. Yeah, you know, I actually spoke to Dom when uh, I don't know if you remember. I think you were off the team by then, Rec. But uh, they did that uh, spring training workout in the Carrier Dome at Syracuse University. And uh, because the AAA team had just moved to Syracuse and it was like a community mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And Dom Smith was one of the players available to media. And I was a junior in college, drove like the three, four hours to go cover that. It was also the same day DeGrom had signed his extension at the time. And Dom was just like the nicest, you know, friendliest guy out there. And I also nicest remember dude in the world. when he was drafted out of high school, he's from, you know, pretty close to where I live now in LA. He's from like the Hawthorne area. And uh, he was a skinny kid. You know, obviously we've mm-hmm. seen Dom, you know, he's had his struggles with weight and maintaining it, got big, lost a lot again. But when he got drafted, he was the skinniest kid. And to your point of being a line drive hitter, man, he was just taking BP at 17 years old, spraying line drives, got all over that ballpark. It was the prettiest swing, almost like Keith Hernandez-esque type swing at 17. Well, you know who he modeled his swing after, right? Would it be Daryl? Because I think they went to no, high school in the it's same Bonds. Place. He grew he grew uh, up like the biggest Bonds fan. Yeah, he even did an interview with him. I thought you were gonna say me. So yeah. Speaking of you, Rec, and that's why I became a PO. Speaking of you, Rec, I just <laughs> looked this up. I know that your your best numbers in your career came during your time with Atlanta, but you also were an Atlanta Braves killer when you were on the other side. You had a 276 mm-hmm. average home run, uh five RBIs, six runs scored in 10 games. Against those same so, Atlanta Braves, I, I'll, I'll tell you that if I could have played every game of my career at Turner Field, I I would have had a much different. <laughs> career. <laughs> I love that place. I don't know why. Like the ball doesn't go anywhere. It's not like a place that's like prolific for homers, like right? Cincinnati. But for I saw the ball so well there, so well. I love playing. I love playing against the Braves though. Like when you're a Met and you get to play against the Braves, even though they weren't that good for some of the years I was there, um, it it just it was a different feeling like that th- those games were just it, honestly, I, I always kind of liked playing against the nationals too, because when they were good, that stadium was electric. And like, it just kind of got you like when you're the road team and the stadium's going nuts, like it's fun. Like it, it, it always got me going. I love be the villain. being on the road in good, in, in like big environments. I loved it. 
And Met fans also always traveled really well to DC. I've never been to Atlanta. Oh my god, they traveled well so everywhere. Many. Come yeah. on, like everywhere we went. Like I, when we were good, fifteen. Oh my everywhere god. we went, we practically the Met fans practically outnumbered um, home fans. I mean, unless you're in LA, you know, something like right. that. But you know, whether the Seven Line Army came or not, like it was just. It was awesome. Like I can remember being in Cincinnati, being in some of these other like towns, and Met fans outnumbered the the home fans. Easy. It's a ridiculous it fan base. It's the best. You want to do one question and, and wrap it? Yeah, yeah. We'll take we'll take a couple. I want to shout out Bubba Gump, and also there was someone else. I missed her name. I apologize. Thank you guys for becoming members on the YouTube channel. Greatly appreciate that. Make sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcast too. Aside from subscribing here on Wordy NYM, folks, so you don't miss out. Dave with the donation. Thank you, Dave. He says, Dom signs with the Nats. They're now the World, World Series favorites. Absolutely, Dave. Who says no? Thank you for the donation. Uh, Grant from Jenny Mets on Twitter, uh, the best Mets fan page you'll find out there. We're over 50,000 followers. Shout out to you, Grant. He says, Rec, what was your favorite organization you played for? This Is this a tough question for you to answer, or is there a clear favorite? Um, It's only tough because I have a lot of love for the A's they drafted me they gave me a chance they didn't release me after like a year which I don't know why um after your debut yeah like <laughs> that too and you yeah, grew up an A's tough. fan right <laughs> I, I grew up an A's fan but like you know being in the, in the system there wasn't any other organization or where there weren't many other organizations that would have given a kid like me the shot that they gave me um most other organizations at that time were very much like, oh, we drafted you. You're going to do this. You're going to go here. You're going to work out. You're going to like the A's basically drafted you and said, yeah, go show up there and do whatever you want. And it was it's such a great learning tool. They used it as a learning tool. It was such a great learning tool because it was. Yeah, we dra we draft a bunch of guys with a lot of talent and we try to develop them and we give them every tool necessary, but we're not going to tell them what to do one time. They're going to have to come to us and they're going to ask questions and they're going to work their butt off and they're going to figure out how to be a professional baseball player. We're not going to teach them how to be a professional baseball player because, I mean, it's the same thing as kind of giving some what's what's the um, saying? Um, give, a give, a, give a man a fish, him. give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him to fish, feed him for like it was literally like they taught you how to be a professional and a big leaguer by not giving you anything like it was like you got to earn it. You got to like, you have to have that desire inside you. And they, they separated people that way. So there was a kid who was drafted in the round after me as a catcher. Um, he was the D two, like national player of the year. He like, you know, he had a decent name, like, you know, but I was a D three guy. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like a big deal or anything, but we both went through our first short season together. I ended up kind of winning the job at that town, even though in, in Vancouver, even though like my stats weren't great, but nobody else's were either. But like, I guess I think it was just like my work ethic. And then we got to spring training the next year. This kid, he didn't show up to um, instructional camp. You could tell he didn't work hard in the offseason. They literally he showed up within a week. They just released him. They were like, yeah, get out of here. Like That's oh. the kind of place they were. It was like, you got to figure it out yourself because we're not going to give it to you. And that gave me the opportunity to work up through a system that rewarded people for just doing the right thing. And then I was able to get myself into a place where I developed into a better baseball player because I, I was drafted as a I was still basically a, a, a good high school player when I got drafted because I came out of a D3 school. 
Like I didn't, I never saw someone throw 90 miles an hour. Never until I got to the pro ball. Like it never happened. And all of a sudden, like dudes throwing 96 in on my knuckles. Um, I could tell you that being in the Indian, well, Indians then now guardians organization, like that was so refreshing because they just, the way they set things up, the way that they kind of went about their business, it was just different. It was different than anywhere I'd ever been. I loved being there. Um, I actually really liked the diamondbacks. They just never gave me a chance. Like, so like I, there's some bitterness there, but like I, I enjoyed what I, you know, what was there. Um, if I had to pick one, um, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even talk about the Mets. Idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, they that. were the ones that gave me, they were, yeah, they were the one, well, they were the ones that gave me the chance in the big leagues, right? Like, so yeah. Oakland gave me the shot in the minor leagues to prove it, to get there. And then I got to the Cubs. They didn't really give me a shot. Well, then I got to the Mets and they were the ones that said, yeah, like we'll give you a chance, go out there and play. Um, I know Sandy wanted to get rid of me after the first season, but I think Terry ended up kind of convincing him to keep me around. And like, so realistically, they gave me the shot to be around for, you know, for three years and they gave me most of my big league time. And then the Braves gave me another shot. And I thought I put together, a, you know, a great half a season there. I thought it was going to turn into more. It didn't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to pick one. I would say probably A's, Mets, and I enjoyed what Cleveland and Arizona did, but I wasn't there long enough. So really, A's, Mets, like it would just be, I don't know which one, but I love both of them. So you have so you have no negativity with all the organizations that you've been to. It's basically what oh, I wouldn't saying. say that. I wouldn't say that. Oh yeah, he was he was brief about the Cubs. I was oh, very oh, brief true. about the Cubs. I, I forgot about very the Cubs. Very brief about the Cubs. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Jed Hoyer. Read between um, the lines on that one. <laughs> not a fan of Jed Hoyer. Okay. Not at all. No, last day. Of, I'm just going to get into it. Last day of the year, 2012. <laughs> last day of the year. Um, we are getting ready to go out and play a game. We're terrible with a hundred and some losses. I just got there. I got traded. Actually, I was uh, I was one of the last like waiver trades because that was one of the last seasons they did mm -hmm. the whole. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. They kept doing it for a few more years. But anyway, um, I, I was traded like August 20 something. I don't remember what it was. And so I get to Chicago. I went to the minor leagues for a couple of days and then I came up um spent the month up <clears throat> we were terrible like i said but i played i think i started like four games um we won all four games and i'm not saying it's because of me but like we won all four games i caught three of them i played first base at one of them and the last day of the year was actually my fourth start that was i was catching that day and they called me into the office before the game they were calling everybody in the office doing the end of year meetings Started the meeting, Dale's fame. Hey, Rick, you know, we appreciated what you did. You did a nice job with us, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Went on to the hitting coach. Um, you were awesome. Loved you. Hard work ethic. Really liked having you, blah, blah, blah. Got to, I think it was the pitching coach who I, we, I don't know, for some reason it just wasn't there. And I, I think that's where things went bad. But, um, you know, he said a couple things. And then Jed just kind of interjected. He was sitting in there. Um, Theo wasn't in there that um, for these, at least not for me, maybe for some other guys. And uh, Jed just interjects, goes, oh, Rick, by the way, I just wanted to get this out of the way. Um, we're going to we're going to designate you in 10 days. Before the game, I'm supposed to go out and play. We're basically we're, you know, we're taking you off the roster. We don't care about you. In okay. 10 days. Yeah, well, end of season, which is like that's that's like the yeah. time frame to when yeah. they can start. Still, doing that, though, guys. I would have been. And so I was curious. like, what the like? <laughs> cool man like that's awesome i'm gonna go play a baseball game knowing that right after the game 
I'm not a cub anymore. Like, this is great. So I just like, I, I was just like, I'm just very bitter about that whole experience. Um, and yeah, it was, it was weird. Like, cause then the, I think it was the pitching coach asked me, he said, did you feel like you were ready to play every time you went out there? And like, did you feel like you worked hard and you did what you needed to do? And I was like, yeah, guy, like, that's what I do. Like, that's how I got here. I, I work hard. Like there's nothing else for me to do. So right. like, I didn't get here cause I'm really good. I got here cause I worked hard. Like, and when he said that, I was, I was just like, all right, like something, something didn't have, something got lost in translation. Like I didn't have very many coaches in my day ever say anything negative about me and my work ethic. And like, that was just like, all right, well, I'll see you guys later. I'll go somewhere else. Cause you suck. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the D three kid got there on sheer laziness. That makes sense. Yeah. That's yeah, I, I was, the kid I don't know if Alberta, like they didn't know anything about my past and they just like looked at me and thought like, Oh, here's some young kid, which I wasn't even young. I think I was like 28 at the time. And like, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. I was, I was really thrown off. It was a weird, weird meeting. And then we won that game and then I left. See you later. Jeez. I had four wins that year with them and they had like, five on the year so <laughs> talk your shit rick talk your shit that's ridiculous i got I'm, I'm honestly not too surprised i mean this is and then we'll wrap things up but you know i personally have never been a lover of the cubs front office wise something that stood out to me that really bothered me is just you think of the core that they had after winning the championship you know over this past half decade what whenever they won right uh right after uh, the mets had their run uh with you you see Baez, you see Bryant, you see Rizzo, you see Contreras, all these guys. And Hoyer was so stubborn having to stick right up his ass and just not willing to commit to like I anyone in that core group for at least a fairly decent period of time when that like that team had so much potential. And I feel that they fell off a cliff way too early, way too young still from like when they won it all. To just not be like that's a team, in my opinion, that should have had far more success than what it had. Uh, maybe I'm wrong yeah. for saying P- that, but pitching like, also wasn't sustainable. Arietta retired, he felt yeah, off. but like those are things that you should be able to fix, you know, one way or the other. Right. Like, the blame the scapegoat should not be the vets, the guys that have carried you. Well, that, what's weird is process. all those, all those guys, their core that came up, they were still fairly cheap. I mean, Rizzo had yeah. signed a deal by them, but even his deal was cheap, and so. Like, yeah, go out and sign some pitching. Like, make it happen. And yep. they just, they didn't. That's I, right. They got Eric Hosmer now. I remember I remember when they uh, they gave an offer to Rizzo, and it was, like, so insulting. He just, like, was, like, bewildered by, like, what they had originally offered him, which then, of course, led him to be no longer part of the organization now with the Yankees. But, yeah, just whatever, Jed. You, you do you. You know, <laughs> let's see how that goes for you. But we got one more donation here, and that's from James. He says, I'd love to hear Rex take on what he saw with Spider Tech LFGM. Okay. All right. Well, it looks like we're gonna be a couple more minutes. So Rex, take it away. Honestly, we're not. I I I never saw Spider Tech in the game until okay. interesting. You know, until like what was that, the 2020 season or 2021 season? I don't even remember. Um when some of that stuff started coming out, I, I mean, I knew there was sticky stuff like, like, okay, so I'll get into this real quick. So we had a bag in, you know, in the bullpen in New York and every team I was ever on. So don't, don't get me wrong. This isn't like just New York. There was a bag. Like it was, it was literally like 
the the cheat bag, the sticky bag. In Oakland, when I was in the minor leagues, like we we during spring training, um, we had a guy that came over from the Yankees. Uh, he was our minor league pitching coordinator. He literally had a station at the minor league during minor league spring training of how to cheat with the baseball, like how to make it do what you want, put this, put stuff on it, like whatever you wanted to do. And so like, that was a thing like that, you know, and as hitters, we just, it is what it is. And as pitchers, like it is what it is, but like, I can, I can, I can physically remember being in the, in New York and we had like the little bag and in the bullpen and I would, I would use it. I, I would put it on my shin guard because the balls get really slick. And so like I needed to throw to second base. So I'm just tapping my fingers. Anytime someone got on first base and there was any threat to steal, I'm just tapping my fingers on my shin guard, trying to make sure I'm ready. Like I got, I got something on my fingers. Cause if I don't, I don't know where this thing's going. So like, it was never like nobody ever really cared. Now when it got to the spider tack, cause we started understanding the revolutions of the base, that's different. Like that was a whole nother level. That was, you saw like dramatically increased performance from guys who never did that before. Yeah. RPM um, just through the roof. Ad, yeah. Nowhere. We're talking about the, the names that we know, the Garrett Coles, the Trevor Bowers, yep. like guys like that, who just clearly knew how to use this stuff. Um, and that that became like a different thing. But outside of that, like, you know, I, I didn't care. Like, I wanted guys to have like something on their finger so that I didn't get hit in the face. Like, I know that that's what a lot of players have said from what I've heard. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've seen look at look at the numbers for hit by pitches the last couple of years since Ridiculous. they just literally took it away. Yeah. Like, it's, it's almost it's like the, the MLB used that excuse if you will that oh this is going to get rid of hit by pitches as just a scapegoat and i will always stand firm it's because they changed the baseballs because they had historic lows offensively to start the 2021 season can't tell me otherwise yeah. i'm sticking with that theory i wish the pirates had some sticky uh some sticky stuff when they hit Marte and effectively ruined our season yeah i know i mean that the the mets lucked out Let, let's let's put it this way the mets lucked out for the majority of the season hit more than any other team by a wide margin and thankfully didn't sustain much injuries. And then it finally caught up to them at the worst time possible. That's just how baseball works. I got to, I got to respond to Pat here. I'm sorry. I enjoyed playing for the Braves. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you for the donation, Pat. Pat, don't worry. The second year, the second year there sucked because I was in the minor leagues almost all year. The first year was great. Okay. So then for the second year, give them a hell. Yeah. You got hell. Yeah. For the second year. (laughs) (laughs) Although I did start the year in the big leagues and they did give me big league time. <laughs> so if Pat didn't get that, he was demanding a refund. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? We went on longer than I expected, but this is awesome. Rex, we love to hear your insight. I think this is something that we should be doing more often. As long as we have time to just really pick your brain. Because again, there's so many things that we haven't really even asked or talked in depth with you yet, at least for the show regarding your playing career and, and insight like this, especially with how you were treated by all organizations is new news to a lot of people. And they definitely appreciate that from what I'm seeing here in the live chat. I'm sure for people listening on audio too. Ali, thank you for the donation. He says getting ready for Korea exclamation. Yeah, we all are. We're excited. Like I said, when the Korea news does happen, whether it's tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, we will be coming out with a podcast not long after that to further break down and just act like for me, at least a little kid all over again, Um, you know, on Christmas day. I mean, I'm getting two presents at once. It feels like, from the news originally happening, it felt surreal. And before it really started to sink in, then the physical thing came up. So now it's it's just refreshing. We're going in this roller coaster. But Carlos Correa, we should find out more info on him and the decision with him and the Mets 
very soon. But that guys, that's going to do it for episode 40 of Believe in Queens. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Make sure to smash a like and subscribe on here on YouTube. Make sure to rate, review, listen, wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you're attending. If you're in the area, City Field this Saturday, January 7th, you'll get to meet me along with plenty of other great Mets fans. And uh, Steve Cohen will be in appearance too. Just an overall great experience starting around 2 p.m. Eastern. But again, make sure to click the link in the description, however you're listening or watching this podcast, to RSVP because that's the only way that you can attend again January 7th this Saturday. But thank you guys so much. That is Anthony Record. Check him out at MLB Network per usual. That's Joe Sorrell. Make sure to check him out at the Sorrell Sports Talk Podcast. And this is me, Wardy at Wardy NYM. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Have a great one, folks. Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com smarttoilets and discover what you've been missing.